0: stars over stormwreck has been released to the dm's guild we're going to take a deep dive into the dread thinganomicon by raging swan press professor dungeon master has a new video where he talks about the lazy dm's companion and the lazy dm's workbook there is a new senior vice president for dungeons and dragons we're going to look at what that might mean for the future of D&D. the answer who knows how can we keep DD strong when the brand itself is in uncertain times? Where can you get more commentary on the One D Experts playtest? I'm going to offer some sources for that. There's a new D Lego contest going on. That's very interesting. And we have the first batch of questions from the October 2022 Sly Flourish Patreon. Today on the Lazy DD talk show, I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things D&D. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to get access to all kinds of exclusive material to help you run your D&D game and help support the shows that I do, you can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. The link to become a patron is in the show notes below. Last week, I talked about Stars Over Stormwreck. Stars Over Stormwreck is an adventure that I wrote with Scott Fitzgerald Gray and Jeff Stevens, available now on the DMs Guild, where we bridge the Dragons of Stormwreck Isle adventure with Light of Xaraxxus. I've now had the opportunity to run Dragons of Stormwreck Isle a couple of times. I actually just ran it at a local game shop yesterday, and I really enjoyed doing it, and I really like this adventure. So I'm excited to be able to bring an adventure that can connect these two things together. If you want to learn more about it, I have another video on my channel that talks in depth about what you get with this adventure, and I also did a pretty good preview last week. But I wanted to let people know that it is now available. You can go pick it up at the DM's Guild. If you're not familiar with the work of Raging Swan Press, Raging Swan Press puts out really wonderful fantasy RPG supplements. A lot of them are system neutral. A lot of them you can run with any game that you want, but clearly you can use it with your fifth edition game. A lot of the stuff from Raging Swan focuses on powerful random tables that they use for all different kinds of circumstances, all sorts of stuff. I first became interested in Raging Swan with the the GM's miscellany for dungeon dressing. There's a bunch of different books, but Raging Swan has tons of different supplements available on DriveThruRPG. I'm a huge fan. It's really, really real great stuff that helps shake your imagination. A lot of the design that I put into the Lazy DM's Companion came from diving into a lot of the stuff that Raging Swan has been has been putting out and the Raging Swan Press has just put out the Dread Thing This is a massive, massive book. I was privileged to receive a preview copy of this book. It is a huge telephone book sized, book of random tables for tons of different situations it is 470 pages long 400 almost 480 pages long great big thick book you can pick up the book and the pdf for 50 dollars from drive-thru rpg the print-on-demand copy of the book in hardcover and the pdf for 50 bucks very good very good rate for 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 what you get and we're going to take a, a look into what you get here with this book it is a black and white book all of the raging swan press books are black and white with beautiful line art that they use all throughout and the material from this all comes i believe from raging swan's patreon raging swan has a really good patreon really good patreon site that you can subscribe to where like every it feels like all the time you're getting new random tables for all different kinds of very specific circumstances that you can use and dive into and look into sometimes it can be a little difficult to like you know there's so much it's, you know keeping track of it all is hard which is why i really like these great big books that put that put everything that put everything that put everything in there the design comes from many different places definitely has an old school look definitely people who like the old school renaissance sort of view of DD are going to enjoy this book but really i think anybody that just wants to get a lot of inspiration for locations and places that you're building out can find tons of stuff to get out of there the bulk of the book are sets of random tables we're going to take take a look at some of the sets of random tables and the book is broken down by all of the different potential locations where you might find this. So the whole first of different locations, dragons, dwarves, dungeons. And it's sometimes it's people, sometimes it's places, sometimes it's monsters, all different sorts of things. The ancient necropolis, archives and libraries, bandits and brigands, alchemist's laboratory, besieged castle, bustling marketplace. It goes on and on, hundreds and hundreds of pages of different sets. So we'll, we'll pick one here that we think. A fane of evil. That sounds really great. So we'll go down to the Fane of Evil. Clickable table of contents, fantastic for a PDF. What are the major Fane locations? Again, D20 list, you roll on it. 13, two pyramids of skulls as high as a grown man's shoulders flank the chapel's main entrance. Carefully stacked, the piles can be knocked over with a strong push. Doing so scatters the skulls across a wide area. The floor comprises dozens of gravestones stolen from nearby graveyards. The inscriptions on each are vandalized or effaced, filled with burnt and splintered bones. A six foot long, three foot wide and seven foot deep hole in the floor may be nothing more than a bone pit. However, the bones could also hide a secret burial crypt or reliquary. Again, the whole book is filled with like inspirational prompts, things where you can like, if I want to fill out an area, I jump to this, I, I read it, and it fills your head with stories. And just, you can just see, like, this is one page of 500 pages of this kinds of material. General shrine decorations. for gleaming white skulls fill scores of niche, niches cut into the walls and pillars. Prayers to the shrine's patron cover the surrounding walls in an array of handwriting and... St- the altar the altar comprises a chunk of razor-sharp magically hardened smoked glass disturbing shadows thrown by two nearby braziers writhe in and around the altar a large pentagram picked out of silver and gold covers the floor around the altar neat stuff right you can you can come up with a lot of stuff like this altar dressing clergy and prisoners you know this now we have a bunch of different npcs npcs personality mannerisms hooks Very, very, very good stuff. Fane of good. You don't like the ones that are like crazy broken glass and sacrificial pentagrams and stuff like that? Fane's nave or most significant space has a giant statue of its god and patron that radiates holy light. Really, really cool stuff. The whole book is just packed with this kind of material. Last week, one of the patron questions was asked what books i would what did i think were like the the three best third-party books that i'd use for DD? and i put this on my list because i feel like with a book like this i could just come up with ideas forever i don't think i would ever run out of stuff that 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 i would run with one of the tricky bits with a book of random tables is making sure that the resolution of the randomness is at the right at the right resolution that you are you're not making things that are so general they're not really useful in a game and they're not so specific that you have to roll on 30 random tables to figure out what kind of fingernails someone has so instead you want something that's like kind of right in the middle specific enough that you can use it in your game but general enough that you only have to roll once and it gives you a good idea i really feel like they nailed it with this this sort of thing they don't have 200 different sites imagine if it's a daytime sites and it was like here's a list of 500 things and it's like a a, a cow or offense or you know that's not useful but instead when you say like three women stand close together deep in conversation nearby a dog noses through the woods in search of an interesting smell it's pretty specific but, you know, interesting enough that characters would want to engage with that. Hey, how's it going there? And they all kind of look, and, uh, right? That could be kind of fun, fun stuff. This is really good. Daytime sights and sounds. You're just wandering around a village. What are some of the things that you, the, 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 the sort of things you find? You know, nighttime. What do you see at night? A fox darts through the village, accompanied by two of its pups looking for prey. It's cautious and avoids any large group of people, but could be coaxed out in the open by a druid, ranger, or the like. Very cool stuff. Here's like a list of different travelers that the characters might run into. You need a quick NPC, but again, it's not just like a super vague thing. It's got good information. Small time merchant who dreams of the big time. After a few foolish deals, he is down on his luck, but always searching for a new one. If the characters seem rich, he promises he has a wide range of contacts from whom he can get almost anything. This isn't entirely true, but he does his best to meet his clients' needs. He'll need a handsome retainer, though, for expenses. That's Juicy Seppo. Neat stuff. Village dressing. What are some of the things they can find around a, 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 a druid fecund jungle? I don't know even you know that what that means. Really, really cool book. I just I really like it. I think if you are looking for a huge book of random inspiration to pick up, you can pick this up on the on drive through RPG. You can pick up the PDF for tw- it's about twenty eight dollars for the PDF. But I really think this is the kind of book that works best when you have both the PDF and the physical version. And considering it's less than that that adding the hardcover version only adds about you know 24 22 dollars to the to the total price for 50 bucks i think it's definitely worth picking up the pdf and the hardcover book i really really dig it so check out the dread thing in Namacon. if you want to just see if this kind of stuff is for you right if you if you're if you're if you're not sure if this kind of thing is useful, you can go to Raging Swan's page on DriveThruRPG and he has many, many supplements. You can go to the DriveThru page and many, many different supplements that offer similar material for not nearly as much money. So if you just want to drop anywhere from like, you know, I think some of these are really pretty low price so you can go here and like i clicked on the system neutral set and you can see there's a whole bunch of like four dollar pdfs you can pick up any one of these four dollar pdfs see if it's the kind of material that really inspires you i know it definitely did for me and then see about picking up some of the bigger books that raging swan has raging swan is really one of my favorite publishers for this kind of material it's fantastic material if you want to see if this kind of material is useful you can go to the raging swan website and there are a whole bunch of different free examples of the kind of material that you would find here so here's like the free one page purple worms layer information again gives you an idea if you like this kind of material you can do it for free check it out but i really really recommend picking up the dread thingonomicon it is an awesome huge book lots and lots of prompts that can keep you keep keep you inspired for ideas whenever you're having trouble coming up with ideas for your fantasy role-playing game you can grab that book pick a location roll some tables and it really just fires up the imagination i really really love it and i highly recommend it so check out the dread thing in Omicon by raging swan press link for it is in the show notes below my friends over at Two C Gaming have a new Kickstarter for the Grimoire of the Grave, the ultimate five E guide to undead. I really love the design work that's going on over at Two C Gaming. Ryan over there and and uh, the whole the whole staff over there r- is really focused on building fun story focused stuff but also with a high degree of attention paid to the mechanics and particularly of high challenge rating monsters i think they are doing some of the best work for for high power 5e monsters that i have seen lots of testing lots of experiences that they've got and they're putting a lot of that into the grimoire of the grave obviously we're in october good time for for halloween and everything good time to run a kickstarter for a book built around the undead the book looks like it's going to have lots of information for world building, new mechanics, player content, story storytelling tools, and more, but lots and lots of monsters as well. One of the things they did is you can get a 24-page preview of the Grimoire of the Grave. I have. I went and got my preview. You, you give them your, your email address, and when you sign them for your email address, you get an immediate download link. They have a good content warning on there just to tell you, hey, there's some stuff in here you might want to be careful of. And really cool design. The design appears different than I've seen from 2C Gaming in the past. And I really, I really like the style. It definitely looks interesting. They have this Dr. Victoria Wellstone, who's sort of a mascot that goes around from, from page to page, kind of telling you what's going on. One of her arms is made out of a ghostly skeleton arm. That's kind of cool. Lots of different monsters that you can drop into your d and game right away. Really cool art. Very gory. Ah, scary. Good for Halloween. Neat stuff. Accursed. What are we looking at here? Undead subtypes, the defining shapes of undeath. Talks about the story behind undead. How are they kind of broken out into different things? What does it mean to be these different things? How does it interact with the world? Undead society and culture. I'm learning a lot about this running Empire of the Ghouls. It's kind of neat to think about like, how do the undead operate? How do they operate together? How do they operate in the world? Boy, that's some. that looks like a two-page spread there. And that two-page spread looks awesome and scary. All the different kinds of undead societies that would exist undead communities what would they be like just clearly they are spending a lot of time thinking about how how the undead how the undead operate evolving undead when you decide to evolve your undead you have some important decision makes that's kind of neat evolutions by challenge rating i don't know exactly how evolutions so these look like modifications that you can give to various undead to make them act in a different way give them an unholy aura for example exudes an unholy aura in a radius determined by its challenge rating when a living creature within the aura attempts to attack a roll or saving throw or ability check against the undead the living creature rolls a die and subtracts the amount rolled from the result Ooh. neat 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 things here neat you know death touch at the start of each of the undeads turn it rolls a number of d4s equal to its proficiency bonus each living creature within five feet of the undead take necrotic damage equal to the result living creature that touches the undead for the first time in its turn takes this damage that's cool a little bit of a damage shield really awesome art look at this art man i dig it and then of course we have one of the patented 2c game huge powerful high challenge monsters in this case it is known as the necribdis necribdis the necribdis which is like undead cthulhu it really looks like an undead cthulhu and it is a very very scary high challenge monster it is a challenge 21 monster but a challenge 21 monster for 2c gaming is a lot is an actual true challenge really gross very body horror sort of monster fetid bloat. It can swallow what I particularly liked is it can swallow somebody when it hits them. Target is swallowed. While swallowed, you're blind under restraint, total cover, you take a bunch of acid damage, a bunch of necrotic damage, and then it can throw you up. Vile torrent. It projects a torrent of disgusting bile. Each creature in the affected area takes 35 acid 35 necrotic, half as much. Any creature swallowed by the necrotic is regurgitated, automatically failing the saving throw and appearing prone in an occupied space. So the cool thing is if I have a creature, a, a character who's stuck being swallowed and it's lame for the player they can get that vomited out and hit for 70 points of damage which is no joke but they at least get to return back to play so you can you have some ways to kind of i I like mechanics like this because it can change the pacing of the game you can sort of give agency back to a character but in a really terrible way and i think i think that that's definitely a fun way to go so looks really good i immediately backed it I i backed it for the physical version of the book i am really really excited for it fantastic stuff 2c gaming has put out tons of great content but this one in particular boy the art direction and the 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 art direction the art itself the page design it looks really really good i am i am very eager for this book i highly recommend it and and have done so uh backing it backing it myself so check out grimoire of the grave by 2c gaming show notes uh, link is in the show notes below Professor Dungeon Master over on the Dungeon Craft YouTube channels, which is one of my favorite YouTube channels. I really, really like the stuff he does there. He and I don't always agree on everything. He's a bit more of a hardcore DM than I am. I'm a bit of a, I'm a big softy when it comes to DMing. So Professor Dungeon Master did a wonderful preview of the Lazy DM's companion and the Lazy DM's workbook. He had already done a video about Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. He's very, very kind. It's a very nice review. He was, He's a, he's a big fan of it, and I, I very much appreciated it. And so I wanted to send him copies of the new ones as well so i offered to send him to them no i wasn't uh, hoping for a review or anything i mean you're always hoping for a review right but i didn't expect a review i was just happy to send it to him because he had already he had already done a lot and uh, i sent it to him but he liked it enough that he did a review so there is a link to his video in the show notes below if you want to see what he had to say for the lazy dm's workbook and the lazy dm's companion you can check out his video really fantastic job i want to i going to thank the professor for doing his review is very very kind a big piece of dnd news there's a, a lot of interesting pieces of dnd news that have come out and a last you know you know, last week, last couple of weeks. And I, I always like to look at this stuff and say, okay, well, how does it matter to us as DMs? How does it matter to us and our games? And that's always a consideration. But some of these changes are definitely going to change the face of d and I am less certain. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about the future path of D&D. And when I say that, I don't mean it's bad. It could be great. It means uncertainty. Uncertainty means uncertainty. It means I don't really know where things are going to go. And it means that some, it could be great. And I hope it is. I really do. I love this game so much. I really hope it's taken a good direction. But there's a lot of things I was I was pretty sure were going to happen that now I'm not so sure about anymore. And directions that I thought D&D would go that back, uh, you know, even six months ago, I'm not sure I think about it the same way now. One of the things that changed is there is now a new senior vice president over D&D. D&D, as far as I know, has never had a vice president role. There has been a vice president role in Hasbro over Wizards of the Coast. That role just changed, I think, about four or five months ago. A woman from Amazon and Microsoft came over and is be- became the new senior vice president for Wizards of the Coast and digital products at Hasbro, which is a weird split. But there it was. Digital product, and she clearly had a background in digital, digital products and digital stuff, Microsoft and Amazon and stuff like that. She apparently brought someone over that she has worked with before because he also, Dan Rawson, the new senior vice president for DD, also came from Microsoft and Amazon. And so that is interesting. That could mean big changes, but it's the first time that there has been a vice president-level role that's just in charge of DD. Now we can also keep in mind that D&D is a lot bigger than just the RPG. It's It's a lot bigger than just the tabletop RPG that D&D as a brand is significantly bigger, I th- I don't know if it's significantly bigger, I'd probably significantly bigger than just the books that we buy to run our tabletop RPG. And that's something to consider. And it's important to think that probably a vice president in charge of D&D is gonna be thinking a lot about the total direction. This is v- D&D related video games, books, movies, TV shows, All the different media, all the online presence, all the stuff. Certainly the tabletop RPG is a part of that, but really the entire D&D brand can fall underneath this thing. And if you think about it, it is certainly, I am sure somebody there has said, what if D&D was like the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? How do we take D&D? If the Marvel Cinematic Universe made like a trillion dollars and it did so off the backs of comic books, then how do we build our trillion dollar, trillion dollar DD? i I'm making up the trillion dollars, but it could be like a billion dollars. They, they I, I, I believe I had heard that in their, in talk to their shareholders and stuff like that, they mentioned that they wanted the various pillars of Hasbro to each be making a billion dollars. And one of those could... Conceivably, be Dungeons and Dragons. So, if they wanted Dungeons and Dragons to be a billion-dollar a year enterprise, how would they expand? Well, you can't just expand it by saying we're going to make new core books. You'd have to say we're going to make a TV show on Amazon. We're going to, you know, we're going to do these things. And if you look at like Critical Role, who is a streaming show that's based on D and they have an Amazon series. So, isn't it interesting that there is an Amazon series for Critical Role, but not for Dungeons and Dragons? You got to think that these conversations are occurring. So, it's bigger than the brand itself. It's bigger than just the tabletop RPG itself. But I know what I'm concerned about is the tabletop RPG. I'm not in charge of Hasbro. I can speculate all day long about what where they should go. I'm, I'm not in charge of the brand. And I, the brand is fine, but the brand is not what I concern myself with. I concern myself with what the game is like for us sitting around our tables playing D&D. But I think it is very interesting that there's this new vice president role over D&D. Another thing, and I don't know what to make of this yet. It is not. It is not a... It is not an absolute certainty so i'm going to talk about it but i'm talking about it with like we don't really know what it means so ray wenninger was the is the is or was the head of the design team for the tabletop rpg ray Weninger talked he was the first person that talked on the video about what the one DD play test was going to be like he took over about two years ago well just recently he a couple of things have happened one is all mention of DD has been removed from his twitter profile and two, he hasn't responded to any tweet in about more than a month. So if I look at those things, what that kind of tells me, and N-World, N-World is the first one that I saw that reported on this, it's possible Ray Wenninger is no longer with D&D. Now, maybe he is and just moved away from Twitter. That's possible. I think it's more likely that he's no longer with Wizards of the Coast or more, or, or more likely not no longer with D&D. And it would make sense that Wizards doesn't, in the middle of a playtest... For the new version of DD, Wizards of the Coast doesn't really want to say, oh, by the way, the head of the design team isn't the head of the design team anymore. And we don't, we don't really have a head of the design team. That's not, that's that's what I'm talking about when I talk about uncertainty, right? I don't know, I don't know what that means. But you can check out Wave Winager's profile on Twitter. This is open information. This is not super secret stuff. You can go to his Twitter profile and look, and it doesn't mention he says he's a game designer and TTR an RPG designer. It does not say anything about Wizards of the Coast. And it did before. You can also see he hasn't posted anything. So again, there could be other reasons for it but it makes sense that this that there could have been a change of leadership for D&D and they don't want people to get caught up in it right but again what do i look at i look at what matters for us in our game and that to me matters that that information that information matters so what does this mean for us and what i think it what i think matters when i think about it is to recognize that we are in uncertain times for the future of Dungeons & Dragons. Again, it's easy to say that and think that means bad times. That doesn't necessarily mean bad times. It means uncertain times. So don't take my, when, it, when I, I say certain things, and maybe it's the way I say it, but I'll say something like, we should be treating Wizards of the Coast like every other third-party publisher of, of Dungeons & Dragons material. And they're like, well, that means you don't like Wizards of the Coast. I'm like, no, I love third-party publishers too. I just don't think we should take our love of D&D and attribute it completely to what Wizards of the Coast decides to do with the brand. I think we D&D belongs to us. I say this a lot. D&D belongs to us. Each of us in our own group deciding how we what we're going to run, how we're going to run it, what we're going to do to have fun with our players. And I think it's important for us to consider that. And while we're looking at these massive changes, I'm I'm big into D&D, as you can imagine. i spent a lot of time thinking about it. So I'm very interested in this stuff, but I also have to remember like while I'm watching where things are going. When I see that the new head of Wizards of the Coast, the new vice president in charge of Wizards of the Coast, and the vice president in charge of Dungeons and Dragons are both heavily connected to technology companies, Amazon and Microsoft. So one of the things that was like in the press release for for Dan Rawson's connection to Dungeons and Dragons is, oh, I love DD. I played it when I was kid and now I'm playing it with my own kids. The fact that you play D and D with your own kids, and now you're in charge—you're the senior vice president in charge of the brand—and you've never actually designed an RPG—it can tell you the direction that the game is going. And it's not physical books. Now, doesn't mean they're going to stop making physical books. Probably not. They'll probably continue to make physical books, but you know that they're going to put a heavy emphasis on digital content. And and what does that mean? The, these questions that I ask—there's com- there, like a bunch of different questions I ask that are indicators of where things are going. One. Are they going to license one D&D or the next version to other third parties like World 20 and Fantasy Grounds? I don't know. Two, is it really going to be backward compatible or not? Or really, is it like a reset? Are we going to have a new version of D&D that you really aren't going to want to play the old D&D books with? Really a 3.5. It certainly seems to be leaning that way. Three, are you going to release the content in a system resource document? Are you going to update the open gaming license and update the system resource document so that third party publishers can publish material for for this for this game water's running those to me are the big indicators of where the direction of DD are going to head. And we don't really have the answers to that. We're looking at the playtests, but the playtests are just playtests. That's not actually what's getting published. We look at it, we read it, we update it, we send our we send our feedback, and then it goes the direction it goes. But certainly there are parts of the feedback, there, there are parts of the playtest that I look at, and we can j- trendline trend line. Feats are we're gonna have a lot more feats. I talked about this before. What does that deal with backward compatibility? And as a producer, I look and say, I could still write with the original 5e SRD and write material that's compatible with what I'm seeing so far. But there may come a point where that's no longer really possible. And what happens then? What happens for third party publishing? What happens to those of us who like to use tools? What happens to the people who primarily play D&D on Roll20 if one D&D is not licensed to them? so before i just said no they will absolutely continue to license to them why wouldn't they but now all the heads have changed there's whole new directions and it would make very good sense for them to say DD beyond is the the way that people are going to interact with D on the on on the internet like that the way that people are going to use their online tools for DD is DD beyond we're going to put everything through that no we're not going to be licensed into third parties they could you it's not unreasonable for them to say it will they i don't know the answer is i don't have any predictions on this but i know that the future is uncertain that's really the, the main point that I'm giving it. All of these, all of this information, the play test, the new vice president, you know, what's going on with Ray Winninger, him going off the grid, all of these things say, we don't really know where d d is going to be in a couple of years. We really don't know. How do we make sure it stays strong for us? How do we make sure that we continue to enjoy DD, regardless, right? Resilience is about being able to carry on even when the world is changing around you and the world is potentially changing around us? How do we continue to enjoy the hobby? So I asked, I put up a question up on YouTube, YouTube in the comments, in the community section, you could create a post. And I put a post that said, given the uncertain times of Dungeons and Dragons, what are the things that we can do to make sure that it stays strong for us and our group? And I got lots and lots of feedback. I like got about 80 or 90 people that, that posted replies to that. And it wasn't really a data survey. This is just an open-ended question and I want to get things, but I did read through every single one of them. And I saw a lot of trends about what people thought that they said, this could be this could be strong for us. And so I wanted to offer a few a few of these. Uh, one, if you own the books, you own the game. I've said this before. If we've got our books, they, Jeremy Crawford's not going to come and take your books away. right? We have our books here. We can still run with them. That's, that's definitely something. One that I added is, if you're not dependent on a single digital platform, don't be dependent upon a single digital platform. If you pick just one stack and say, D&D is Roll20 or D&D is D&D Beyond. If you're tied to one stack, then whatever happens to that stack is going to happen to you. This is more true with digital stuff than physical again because the physical stuff cannot change the physical stuff is there you're using it but if you're tied to digital tools and a lot of people are i have friends of mine and players who really like DD beyond they just love it which means as long as DD beyond is changing and moving that's the way we're going but those players have moved to writing physical character sheets again for my my cobalt press based games and for my numenera games and other rpgs so we've been able to play other rpgs and but we just people like DD beyond and i like it so i, I recognize that but the more we wrap our love of the game around a single digital platform, the more we are dependent upon that platform to 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 be a hub of our joy. And that's a risk. The game, and this is other feedback that I got from people, the game is really about you and your friends around the table. So like starting with a feat at first level, is that really a big deal? Is it break in the game? Is it making everything terrible? I mean, a lot of people house ruled that. So not really. Right. That the, the, the real joy of the game is us getting around the table and playing with our friends. And as long as we're kind of open and flexible, we can play lots of different games. I played lots of different RPGs. My players have loved many of them. Some of them like, eh it's okay. But we are all still around a table playing it. And it's important not to lose focus on that. That the joy of this game is us getting together with our friends around a table, either virtually or physically, and enjoying a game together, enjoying the story. Little nitpicky things about the mechanics, sure, we're all going to complain about them. I complain about them. Other people complain about them. We complain about different ones. But the joy of the game is us getting around the table with our friends, whether it's a virtual table or a physical table. We're getting around the. We're joining up with our friends to enjoy in shared storytelling, where none of us really know where things are going to go, and we get to enjoy it together. So the nitpicky parts of the game might change. The strength of the game is still there. And then the other part, which is very important, is the game is yours to change. People house rule all the time. Many, many people have house rules. I have house rules. Mine are pretty minor, but some people have big house rules. Some some things that people have been doing as house rules are now making it into the one D&D playtest. So I didn't realize this, but a lot of people have been doing the, if you are a two-weapon fighter, you can make your second attack and not use a bonus action. That was something I saw in the playtest. I was like, oh, that's a big piece of power creep. Turns out a lot of players have been actually doing that as part of their playtest. So they've already been doing it. So for them, they're like, oh, thank God, it's what I already do. Same with feats. Oh, I give feats for first level because I want people to be able to customize their character more. And the idea that feats are locked away with ability score bonuses, you only get a handful of them before we end a campaign. Maybe one or two before we end a campaign. I wanted to offer more. Okay, cool. So we can change the game. We can also say we're not going to do that. Or we're going to stick to 5e, but we're going to take these things from 1D&D that we like, but we're going to do 5e. What if you played 5e, but you kept the exhaustion rules from the 1D&D playtest, which are really, really good. We can modify this game however we want. We control it at the table. It's all about the agreement that we make with our players. That's what it comes down to. You don't need to convince the world to do anything. You don't have to convince the world that you're right about fighters not being as much fun as wizards. If you want to modify things, you can modify things. And the only people you have to convince are the other people that you're going to have around your table, which could be as few as one other person. It could be you and a friend of yours playing together and if you have you and one other person playing i've done one-on-one games they're great all you need is one other person to enjoy the game with you and you're really in a good spot ideally four or five people even better but unless your game is really weird you, you especially if you're willing to play online and you go through the effort of finding people you're probably going to find people willing to play the game the way you want to play it unless you're doing something really strange so that strength of the game really belongs to us because we're the ones that can change it so we're this is a topic we're going to keep talking about So if I'm boring you with it, I will make sure to bookmark it so you can skip. But I really think that how we keep our hands around D&D so that whatever happens with the hobby, we're happy and our group is happy and we're enjoying the game as much as we have in the past. That to me is really what I want to focus on. Something I think about a lot. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time looking at what's happening with the industry. I talk to a bunch of other publishers in this industry about this all the time. They're tired of hearing me talk about it too, but we talk about this a lot. And I really try to say like, look, the industry is one thing, but our group is another. And to me, the group is more important. I am far more, I, I feel far more interest and far more of my energy is on how do we make sure that each of us are able to enjoy this game with our friends more so than getting tied up in like, oh, they're going to do a cartoon or the future of D and D is a mobile app within app purchases. It might, it might be, who knows? I like, to, I like to look at the whole thing and think what matters when we're getting around the table and playing D&D with our friends. If you want to hear more commentary on the one D&D playtest for the expert classes, this is the first time we've looked at classes. I have a few different sources for you to look at. All of these are linked in the show notes below. I talked about it on the show, I think last week. I think it was last week where I talked about it on the show, but I also had the opportunity to talk about it with the 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 folks over at on the Eldric Lorecast podcast. Really really fun time talking about really fun time talking about 1D&D and and a lot of interesting things that came up in that conversation. So there is a link to the Eldric Lorecast where we talk about 1D&D below. My friends Sean Merwin and Teo Sabedia also talked about it on the Mastering Dungeons podcast and these are two really really smart 5e 4e developers, longtime RPG developers that are talking about this. Good friends of mine, really interesting podcast. Very, very even headed people that talk about this. So, you can see a link to their show on Mastering Dungeons. And another very even headed in this is DM David, D- David Hartlett. DM David writes a blog called DM David and he had insights into the one D&D playtest of expert classes and really interesting observations from him as well very smart guy also very even headed played this game for a long time so all of those if you if you if you want to dive into more into what people are thinking there's of course a million places you can look but three that i recommend three that i pay particular attention to are Mastering Dungeons, Eldrick Lorecast where I talked about it, so of course I'm gonna pay attention to it, and DM David talking about this. Links to all those are in the show notes below. Another interesting thing that happened, and this is this is one of those areas where we're like, okay, this is clearly a smart connection for branding. And I don't think you can attribute this to the new vice president for Dungeons and Dragons. I have a feeling this is probably already underway. But boy, if it ever makes sense to connect two brands together, these would be the two brands you want. And that is Lego and DD. So Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons have got together with Lego to run a contest and anybody can build a DD and d related thing in Lego and send the design to to Lego, submit it to this contest. It will be judged both by people, us, we can go vote on them, and it will be voted on by experts from both Lego and Wizards of the Coast. That's cool. So here are some examples, there's like a cool dragon, there's like mimic chest, there's D&D diorama, there's like a beholder. These are kind of interesting, right? Lots of people are leaving comments. Here's bricks and dragons, this looks great, right? This looks really, really cool, this bricks and dragons one. So that's neat, but you know what else is neater? Whoever wins this contest, their Lego is going to make a set out of it that you can go buy. And even cooler than that, the person who designed it gets 1% of the profits of that set. Now that is cool. That is a contest that you get to design a cool Lego based thing and you get to, let's take a look at this one. This one looks really neat, right? This, I was actually, my my wife and I were talking about this on our walk this morning and I was like, I would make a dungeon. I think it'd be really cool to build a dungeon that people could then move and change and, and go around and build in different things. And this is a pretty cool, a modular dungeon system made out of Lego. And the idea that Lego could then put this together in a set and sell it would be really very neat and then even better if they like it if lego likes it enough to build a set out of it the person who designed it gets one percent of the profit so you're not just like stealing ideas from people and turning it into profit you're actually they are benefiting they are going to benefit from the success of this of this project so very very smart branding i think really good idea because like lego and D go together really well why wouldn't you want to have a Lego set that you could actually put on the table and use as terrain, a rule set that lets you play with your Legos, but with rules, really good connections between Lego and Lego and Dungeons and Dragons here. So this is one of those areas where I could see like the brand expanding in a way that I think is really cool. I really dig it. Well, I buy the set. I don't know. I'm not much of a Lego dude, but I'll tell you, it looks really great. So that I thought was a fantastic join of, of, of the brand two, two different brands. Let's get into our Patreon questions for October of 2022. Every month I put up a new thread on the Sly Flourish Patreon site where patrons can ask D&D related questions. I answer every question that is listed there on the Patreon site. Some of those make it to the show. I don't answer every question on this show but I answer some of them where I think the answers to these are things that we can all learn from. Our first question is from Andy R. Andy says, I'm watching the new D&D playtest materials bump player power up again and again. I think this is great as long as DMs have tools to challenge these beefier characters i use your deadly encounter formula and i'm wondering do you think it will be possible to just modify this formula to account for whatever changes Watsy makes to characters or is it more complicated than that i'm mostly thinking about backward compatibility since we haven't seen updated monsters yet oh boy so many questions will we see updated monsters if we see updated monsters will those monsters be compatible with the monsters they just published in monsters of the multiverse that they made us made us that that we bought again after already owning volo's Guide to morning canons these are big questions. What does it do to player power? I have a feeling if I were in their shoes, I, w- I I bet I would redo the encounter building guidelines. I think they even said in this last play test, they said some of the future things we're going to do are going to include encounter building. So I bet you they're going to change encounter building guidelines. Does the lazy DM benchmark need to change? I bet not. I bet because remember the benchmark is a really loose guide to begin with. It's a loose guide to begin with. So I don't think it's going to change because also it'd be like how would it change? How are you going to make it easier than a quarter and a half? We're not going to do one fifth. We're not going to do like seven eighths, right? We're we're not going to change that ratio around to something really weird. The reason why it's a quarter and a half is because it's easy to remember. So I don't think I'm going to change the benchmarks. I I doubt I will change the benchmarks. Now the whole power of the game could change significantly, and then who knows? And we'll see what kind of encounter building guidelines they offer up. But I bet you the guidelines that I have here probably. I don't know if they're going to hold up in the future. We'll have to see, because I really don't know what it's going to be like, but I don't expect right now. I don't expect they're going to change and that, you know, that, that, that encounter just a quick summary. You can determine if an encounter is potentially deadly. If the sum total of monster challenge ratings is greater than one quarter of the sum total of character levels or one half of those characters are above our fifth level or above. Now I've increased that to three quarters and one to one at 11th level and at 17th level and those are those swing it so far in the other direction that those you know even as their player power goes up those aren't going to change because those are already really deadly encounters so i don't think that the encounter building guidelines need to change i have a feeling those will hold up and they'll certainly hold up at least for the next two years while we're waiting for all these things to change Good question, Andy. J.A. says, What would be an appropriate way to destroy the dragon masks and hoard of the dragon queen and rise of Tiamat? What would be some general principles to consider in how magic items might be destroyed? Obviously, you have the one ring model where you destroy it in the forge where it was created. What, but what else could we do as DMs? What else should we as DMs consider as models? I I think, I think that it'd be interesting if every artifact that you wanted to destroy had to have a unique way for you to destroy it i think that it would be interesting if each of the dragon masks for example can't just be destroyed the same way that each mask needs to be destroyed by something that seems that familiar with that artifact now some artifacts maybe you just can't destroy and then there's like well how do we find a layer of the abyss nobody exists in and throw it in there i think that's an interesting that's an interesting problem i think that the for the masks particularly the idea that a mask could only be destroyed by something equivalent to the breath weapon of the month of the dragon that the mask represents so an ancient white dragon's breath would have to be used to destroy the white dragon mask or something of the equivalent and you'd have to go find something that's as powerful as that to destroy that mask and the neat thing about having sort of a unique way for each artifact to be destroyed is you can turn those into their own adventures and their own quests each one of those could be their own adventure and their own quest and it could have difficulty in you in you going and getting them so i I, I like that idea that each one would have its own, its own approach, the own its own way that you would destroy it. And when you look at the art, you're hopefully not giving out lots of artifacts, but Horde of the Dragon Queen is one where you give out a lot. And for Horde of the Dragon Queen, I would think like an ancient breath weapon would have to be used to destroy that mask. And, like, and the dragon would have to be willing to destroy it. It's not just like, oh, just put on the mask and get breathed on by an ancient blue dragon. Although that might do it, but maybe you, the ancient blue dragon needs to know what it's doing. Or you have to find something that's equivalent to that. And similar to that, if you want to destroy the blue dragon mask, an ancient blue dragon would do it, but maybe you have to call like on maybe a a storm giants lightning call could do it. Or some other, like maybe King Hecaton, the giant, is the only other one that could destroy it. And you have to go find the quest to go get King Hecaton so that he will destroy the dragon mask. Something like that. I think that would be really interesting. Max M says, my Waterdeep Dragon Heist players, against all NPC best advice, dove into the dungeon of the Mad Mage to get to Xanathar's lair. My question is about actually navigating a dungeon. There are a lot of awkward feelings when the party hits a four-way intersection. The game kind of grinds to a halt. One thing I've done is a little is to mitigate this was to give them an NPC who can help guide them a little. But I felt that it's really taken away from the player's choice. We have three-hour three bi-weekly sessions and I'm worried about them spending months in, uh, of sessions slogging through and forgetting the rest of the plot of Dragon Heist. How do you handle a large maze-like dungeons? Do you help the players find the right way or do you let them debate where to go? Very good question. And I think depending on the focus of the kind of game that you and your players are running can determine how you want to do this. I think it's okay to have a montage. If if you're just trying to get to the Xanathar's Lair as part of Dragon Heist, maybe you run an encounter or two, but maybe you have a montage about their exploration and just showing them through that montage how vast Undermountain is and they get that feeling but you say like after spending you know 2 or 3 days traveling through the dungeons of other of undermountain you find your path to the Xanathar's lair but recognizing that you know the vast catacombs and the vast caverns that exist are so far beneath it so that's you, you when you're thinking about how what what part of it you're running that that's a big that's a big question like what the theme of your adventure is as far as exploring, the real answer is making sure you're giving them meaningful choices. That if they get to that four, the proverbial four-way intersection, that each of the paths tell them something. Is the air more foul down one path or the other? Do they hear the echoes of the dead in another one? Do they hear the, the, the grumbling of humanoids and, and see the light of other humanoids down another path? What are the things that they can learn about each of those paths to make a meaningful choice? A good one is like there's the abandoned path that they've long ago abandoned because there are dangers there that no one wants to face but no one will know that you're going down there because no one expects you to go down there or there's the well-traveled path that lots of people travel down and it's very possible that you'll have hostile that that hostile creatures will do it so there's definitely there's definitely considerations like that where you want to give them meaningful choices but I don't think it's out of hand to have an NPC giving them the map, particularly if they know where they're going and it's really just a matter of going there. And then what you can do is just make sure that there's a fun encounter on the way that sort of exemplifies the fact that they're going to this to this big dungeon. But the big the big part and sometimes the hard part is how do you make sure that you're giving them meaningful options for the choices that they're making when they're navigating and traveling through a dungeon especially a big one that's almost not infinite but like way bigger than you would actually want to run in a session phd20 says what are some lost treasures from older editions of DD that could help game masters run great games rules styles of play adventures etc just curious if anything comes to mind Many people recommend the Dungeon Master's Guides for 4th edition, and I'm I'm not opposed to them either. I think that those books have a lot of good advice. I think they're... I don't know why exactly, but there's certainly a lot more attention about how great Fourth Edition is these days than there was when I was playing Fourth Edition. It seems like. So, but those those books had some interesting things. People also often talk about the layout of those books being really good. The Fourth Edition Dungeon Delve book is also really interesting. It's got 30 different dungeons, very small three room dungeons that are filled with all different kinds of monsters. It's it's an interesting one that I that I like, and many people I think have tried to to replicate. There's not Fifth Edition really isn't a three room dungeon sort of system. It's kind of meant for a bigger meant for bigger dungeons but that works if we go further back i i really i think it's very interesting to look at the first edition dungeon master's guide because it gives you an idea of what this game looked like when it first came out it actually does have a lot of interesting tables a lot of interesting things that you can use in your current game there are ideas that i took from it and put in the lazy dm's workbook because i didn't feel like they were in the current monster the the current dungeon master's guide so there's a lot of things it's it's some of it's just completely incomprehensible That's definitely worth noting. But it's also really interesting to just look where the game came from. And you can pick up the PDF of the original first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. I think that is a really interesting resource. Adventure-wise, I think there's a lot of classic adventures that are worth looking at. Sometimes they are also equally incomprehensible. They were like walls of text with no paragraph markings, a font that's hard to read. And, and lots of text that like wasn't really interesting. But to me, the one that's like the true classic where I look at it, and I'm like, this is by, I think it's still the best adventure that's ever been written is the original I-6 Ravenloft. That, that the original Ravenloft adventure is a 32 page adventure that you could run over and over and over again for the rest of your life. The design of it is fascinating. It's a fascinating design and it's also a little hard to understand when you're looking at the fortunes of Ravenloft and trying to figure out exactly how they work. It takes you a little bit of effort to figure it out. But when you think about how big Castle Ravenloft is and you think about how much it can change because of the fortunes of Ravenloft and how much that can make different stories take place. And packing that in a 32-page adventure is amazing. So as much as I love Curse of Strahd, and I love Curse of Strahd, looking at the original I6 Ravenloft is very eye-opening. There's also a lot of other classic 1E adventures that I think are worth looking at. The Against the Giant series, the Descent into the Depths of the Earth, the 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 various Drow adventures, I think are really interesting to look at. There's some fun ones like Throne of Blood Throne of Bloodstone. Which are my my cat decided to say hello by the way here's a kitty he's like I want some attention I'm gonna sit on your lap there's throne of bloodstone is an interesting one because that's I think like the level 18 to 100 level adventure and has all kinds of zany stuff like the citadel of Orcus where bone cannons are being fired at you and all kinds of all kinds of stuff like that so a lot of the classic D and adventures you can just look at the popularity list the popular ones Isle of Dread is really interesting to look at keeping the borderlands of course village of Hamlet and uh, village of Hamlet and temple of elemental evil are also really worth looking at a lot of those original designs you look at them and they're really interesting to look at but it's also like man that that does not you know that does not exactly hold up to the kind of modern design it's not nearly as easy to run those as it is to run adventures today but it's still they are also adventures that are worth looking at jbcw says i am running a homebrew world and i'm using the classic rod of seven parts as the backbone of my campaign for this campaign i tried something different and decided not to include alignments As part of characters, NPCs, and monsters and to focus more heavily on the personalities bonds flaws feature. As a, as a player attunes to two or more parts of the rod, they are meant to become more lawful to the point of absolutes once the rod is made whole. However, as I'm not using alignments, this is this becomes a little difficult. The idea is to have it capitalize on the bonds flaw system that is already in place so the characters can assign a new flaw each time they are tuned to the item. Extreme emotions make me uncomfortable and I strongly dislike being, becoming angry, envious, or fearful. Everything I say is the truth and I never deliberately lie, but I may evade the truth or use obscure statements not wanting to take away player agency very important point i would i would discuss this with my player who is attuning to the rod before assigning the flaws and ensuring they're on board with this beforehand however i'm wondering if this is something you have plant played around and if you have any ideas and thoughts on the system and perhaps even an alternative i've not considered so you're hitting the, the last part of your statement here is really really important to exemplify that when you're doing things like changing the personality of characters due to magic items and stuff that you really want to have that talk with your player to make sure that you both are happy with the direction it's going you don't want to have a player who's no longer happy with their character because of these flaws and even in discussing them even if you have that conversation ahead of time and then do it they might still change so you might still have to go back and be like are you still okay with this are you still cool with this that's very important the idea of maybe even having the flaws and bonds that you and the player work together to decide what that means you can talk in general about what it kind of means to put the rod together And then talk to the players about what you think that does to their character and letting them evolve their character. Now, the tricky bit is you also want to make sure that the other characters are okay with it because the other characters might just hate that character now. And you're like, what good is that? The player might be, Oh yeah, this is great. My character is a dick, but I love playing dicks. And you're like, well, I don't like playing with other dicks. I I don't need another character to be a pain in the ass. It's the kind of conversation you really want to have with a group overall. And it's going to be tricky to do. Do I have an alternative? I don't know that I have a great alternative. I really love the idea that the magic item has a personality and that personality you can have go in any direction you want. So I think that that can, be, that can be really tricky. But I think you're on the right track. And I think constant and continual open conversation with your players is critical if you're going to be changing the player's background. You're going to change the, the, the player's flaws and bonds and things like that and changing the personality of the characters. It really should be the player who's making that change, not you. But you can help them by talking about how it works in the story. Hopefully that helps. My friends, I want to thank you all for hanging out with me today for the Lazy DD Talk Show. If you enjoyed this show, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter where you get a free adventure generator PDF plus a weekly D&D article sent directly to your inbox. You can support me directly on Patreon. Pa- patrons of Sly Flourish get access to all kinds of material to help them run their D&D games and access to all kinds of other ways to talk with other DMs and myself and, and, and most of all help support shows like this. You can also pick up my books on the Sly Flourish bookstore. I have the Lazy DMs companion the lazy dms workbook and return of the lazy dungeon master all in print beautiful offset prints you can get those versions in the bookstore below and of course you can pass this video to your friend like it subscribe to it give it a thumbs up let people know that you enjoy the show thank you all very much have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.